0: This is New Classical Tracks from listener-supported American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for this show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word, and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Kathy Fuller Is a radio host, a classical radio host in Boston. And the first time she encountered pianist Marc Andre Hamlin, he showed up for, well, a live performance conversation, except he wasn't so sure he was actually supposed to perform. Uh, She sort of rolled her eyes and decided she'd come back later for the interview. Well, guess what? They hit it off. Eventually, they became a couple and married. And now, for the very first time, Kathy, who's also an accomplished pianist, is performing with Marc-Andre Hamlin on a new recording which features the complete Nocturnes and Barcarolles by Gabrielle Foray and the delightful Dolly Suite for Piano Four Hands. You get to hear this conversation this week as we explore this new recording on new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julie. Well, let's just dive right in and talk about your newest recording. It's a two-CD set, and it features the Nocturnes and the Barcarolles of Gabrielle Fauré. Why did you want to record these two sets of
1: pieces? Well, this is interesting because... I've always had a great interest in that period, that particular period uh, of uh, musical history, musical development. And I'm talking about the uh, turn of the century from the 19th to the 20th. And uh, it's very interesting to me. It's always been very interesting because uh, the evolution of musical language, suddenly there was an explosion and uh, it it just... uh, uh, went into leaps and bounds uh, and tonal harmony started to break up and there was just incredible inventiveness and innovation, you know, on the part of many composers. I mean, I'm talking people like like Foray, of course, uh, Busoni, Rager, César Franck. I mean, it was really all started I mean, you can trace the origin back to Liszt and Wagner, really. But uh, many, many of these composers continued, and the, especially the the first part of the 20th century was very, very fertile. But it even started before that, as I said. So I've always been very admirative of uh, Foray's music, even though I really didn't know a lot of uh, his music at first. And uh, (laughs) it's funny to say that, but for the longest time, I had two of his uh, piano pieces in my repertoire, plus the uh, ballade for piano and orchestra, and that's it. I'd also played a couple of the chamber music pieces, you know, but uh, that was it. And uh, at some point, I thought well, I should really, really explore this music, you know, because I I had heard some of it, you know, played by others, but it's really when I started to read it at the keyboard that I thought, this is something that I want to be part of, you know, and I I want to explore more of it and uh, have it in my fingers and see if I can do justice to it. The more I delved into it, the more wonderful I thought it was, and you just go from one wonder to the next. And, uh, by a certain time, it became obvious that I should do all of the, the Nocturnes and rolls. Of course, he, he wrote other piano music. There's at least two other CDs worth, you know, but uh, to have all of the Nocturnes and Barcarolles in one place was an especially attractive idea, I thought.
0: Mark, as you were learning these pieces and then recording them, what did you discover about these works and their composer, and maybe it's something that was unexpected for you.
1: There's, um, you know sometimes, you, you, you can't tell exactly what makes something work, what makes it really great, but I guess I could, offer a beginning of an explanation by saying that uh, his exploration of harmony coupled with a wonderful sense of uh, piano writing and very, very sophisticated sort of of aristocratic um, uh, feeling, all of that contributes to give a wonderful, wonderful flavor. His sense of harmony and melody and the way he combined the two, uh, giving us a lot of unexpected turns, twists and turns, uh, I, I think is just really unique to him. It's very hard to explain what makes him special because, uh, I think all I can come up with, you know, would, uh, prompt someone to say, well, you know, this could be said of other people as well, other composers. Um, but, uh, with him, I think that there was a special art of, uh, Combining all the musical elements and then creating creates something new, something wonderful, songful, sensuous, special, unexpected—all of the above and then more.
0: Foray's mentor was Camille Saint-Saens. How might Saint-Saens' influence be heard in these pieces? Can you give us maybe some examples?
1: Well, I don't know if I have any specific examples. I mean, both were really wonderful pianists, and uh, the 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 piano writing is exemplary in both cases. If if you have to compare the two, I think that Foray's language was a little bit more developed. Uh, Saint-Saëns was really quite a, a classicist in many ways, whereas Foray was much more of a sensualist. If there's a real distinction between the two, I think that's the main one.
0: I was reading in the beautiful notes that you have inside the recording about Saint-Saëns' relationship with Pauline Viardot. And then, of course, Foray, I guess, was dating her sister or her daughter or somebody, so there was all these um, kind of soap opera connections. And in the process of that, Pauline Viardot had shared with Saint-Saëns some of the conversations that she had had with Frederick Chopin about how he wrote his music and his compositional style. And then she shared that with Saint-Saëns, who then shared it with Fauré. And I might be making this way too complicated, but how did Fauré take maybe what he had garnered from Chopin or that style, perhaps in the Nocturnes, and then put his own stamp on it? Is there an easier way to ask that question?
1: You know, I never thought about comparing the two. Uh, whereas it, 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 I think it would be almost imperative to compare the two, since they both wrote so many nocturnes, and Chopin wrote one barcarolle. Well, I, again, I think you you simply have to uh, get back to a question of language. Uh, Foray was perhaps a little less ornamented, and. Uh, uh, melodically and harmonically, I think he went into different directions. Beyond that, I think you have to sort of consider each piece on its own terms. I'm sorry, that's very a very disappointing explanation. No,
0: no, no, that's okay. I get it, because sometimes I'm thinking there might be some, you know, elaborate answer, and there isn't. But that's why I asked the question, to find out, right?
1: There's uh, the element of mystery in music appreciation is something that I really, really hang on to. I mean, uh, it it first really became obvious to me with uh, Beethoven's late works, especially the late sonatas. You see everything that's there on the score and you hear it. First of all, how did it come into being and what makes it so special? And I love the fact that very often, actually most of the time, there is no answer. And the mystery remains. and uh, it it keeps us humble in a way. And uh, it makes me retain my sense of wonder, uh, vis-a-vis these masterpieces.
0: I love that. And then you, as the interpreter, get to bring your own, you know your own self into that mystery and that wonder that's right. You complete that puzzle. That's lovely. When I think of a nocturne, I think of a night piece. And therefore, I think of something that's going to be a little more subtle or subdued. However, these nocturnes by Fauré are not necessarily that. Can you talk a little bit about the sense of drama that he creates in some of these?
1: Well, that's a very easy question to answer, simply because Fauré was actually known to have said that his publisher was mainly responsible for titles given to his works upon publication, because if he'd had his druthers, and he would have named each piece like piano piece number so and so, you know, he really didn't care much about what what to call them. It's really what was expressed that was uh, really of prime importance to him. So a nocturne is not necessarily nocturnal in his outlook. Some of them really get quite dramatic. I'm thinking of the last Nocturne, number 13, which has a very stormy and anguished middle section, which really rises to a pretty big fever pitch. Uh, Some of them are, are, of course, very peaceful and placid, but uh, they're, they're not all like that. Uh, the number 11, for example, is uh, is a funeral ode. Many of them, especially the later ones, are quite dark.
0: Mark, if you were going to sit down and play one of those nocturnes randomly, like right now, which one would you choose and why?
1: You know, they're all wonderful. But one of them, to my mind, stands out above almost all of the others, and that's number six. Six. It also happens to be, I think, the longest of all of them, but uh, of course, that, that's that's no reason to, to like it. Um, the special atmosphere in there that he creates has always been very, very, very special to me, perhaps more than any other of his uh, piano works. that's the one to me that stands out and which I would recommend listening to first perhaps although you know if you put it on the the CD you know with the nocturnes you know the very very beginning of the first nocturne is absolutely magical I, I wouldn't deprive myself of any of the others either.
0: In that final nocturne, number thirteen, the composer wrote that just a few weeks after his mentor Saint-Saens died, and the composer himself was completely deaf at that point what do we hear in that nocturne that maybe tells that story?
1: As I was saying before, a lot of the late pieces are very dark, and I think that uh, Foray's hearing troubles cannot have failed to have had an influence on the character of the music. Uh, But When you hear the music, you know, you realize that his inner hearing was absolutely unimpaired. He was even able to go even deeper, you know, in harmonic exploration and even maybe a little bit of dissonance. But he always knew what he was doing. I mean, uh, you could not ever say that what he was writing was ever hampered by his uh, lack of hearing. And he also had distorted hearing also, by the way. Um, The extremes of the register of the keyboard, extreme lows and uh, extreme highs were completely distorted. he, He didn't hear the right pitches, you know. And so listening to music externally for him was torture, but he could hear it internally just fine.
0: There are 13 nocturnes and 13 barcarolles, and it struck me that some composers stayed clear of that unlucky number. What did that number 13 mean for Foray?
1: I think it's, it just means that he didn't have time to write more. <laughs> he, he certainly would have written more if he'd lived longer.
0: Foray was apparently ambidextrous, and that means, of course, that he had the ability to use both his hands equally. And I'm curious, especially in these Barker rolls, what challenges or maybe advantages did you encounter as a performer because he was writing this way for both hands?
1: I think the writing for right hand and left hand is is wonderful. I mean, they complement each other very well. Uh, what is more difficult, I think, is the, the... You require very, very sensitive pedal control. There has to be... Um, I'm just thinking in French here. There, there has to be the right balance uh, between thinness and... Uh, well, just the right texture and not uh, having anything too busy and too blurry. And uh, the way he writes it's very, very imperative to command uh, and as many gradations of pedaling as possible. So full pedal, no pedal, and everything in between so that the the, the, uh, the texture doesn't get too blurry. I find the same problem in Schubert's music as well, um, funnily enough. To, to mention a composer who is very dissimilar to him in many respects.
0: Can you give me an example where we might hear that very careful pedaling that you have to address in one of the pieces and where we might hear that?
1: If you take per- perhaps the uh, middle section of the third bark roll. That's one part which I remember I had to be very, very sensitive. And I've been playing the piece forever, you know, but uh, every time you get to a different piano, the pedal is regulated differently, so you always have to adjust at least a little bit. So that's one example I could give.
0: When it came to the Nocturnes, you had one that you were like, "Ah, oh, this one really stands out above the rest. How about with the Barker rolls? Do you feel that way about the Barker rolls as well? Is there one that you just feel like, oh, this is the one that stands out for me?
1: Well, the uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, I only played two of the solo pieces for many, many, many years, and that was the second impromptu, uh, and the third roll, uh, which I learned when I was a teenager. I think I was maybe 16 or something like that. And I've always had a, a soft spot for it. And uh, on a personal note, uh, whenever I visited my mother, she'd asked me to play it because she just adored it. So that's one of the things that makes it special.
0: I was reading a little bit about you um, with respect to this recording, and one of the things that the author of the article said was how there was a time where only French composers could play French music, um, but that you, Marc-André Hamlin, are being very bold to... Um, you know, dive into the French repertoire. And, of course, you've also played C.P.E. Bach most recently. And, you know, then we have the rags of... um, Bill Bolcom. Thank you. I'm, like, seeing his face and couldn't think of his name. I was curious, is there any repertoire that you have yet to play that's, like, on your bucket list or perhaps repertoire that you won't
1: touch? Either end of the extreme. Well, there's no question that... I really want to explore more of the so-called standard repertoire, uh, play a few more Beethoven or Schubert sonatas, for example, and uh, delve a little more into Chopin than, uh, than I have in the past, uh, because there's tremendous nourishment there. But as far as other repertoire, which is perhaps less known, um, I guess I sort of wait to be surprised as I do sight reading, you know, because I I, I do it regularly, uh, I, I I can just take something off the shelf because I have a, a a very very large library. I guess I wait for something to delight me and surprise me and challenge me. That's that's really the the most I can say at this point, you know, because uh, I don't have really anything resembling a, a large scale or a long ranging plan.
0: What have you taken off the shelf most recently that delighted and surprised you?
1: Well, I can tell you that just uh, yesterday I was reading some of the keyboard music by uh, Svelink, the Dutch composer, but uh, it didn't really delight me. (laughs) Uh, There were some interesting aspects to it, but uh, I'm always, when I'm reading it, I'm always thinking, would I have a future with this repertoire? Is this something that I can delve into? Is there something, that, is, uh, is there any nutrition in it? I mean, it, it, can I bring something to it? And i the answer in that case was mostly no, but at least I tried and uh, I know now more about it than I did uh, before I took it to, to the keyboard because uh, I didn't know his music before that. Now I realize I haven't answered your question. I, I don't remember what I uh, it took <laughs> it took off the shelf uh, and uh, had a positive impression. I mean, I, I, I guess I haven't uh, had that experience in a while, and I couldn't really recall. But uh, well,
0: maybe it was something on this recording. I mean, how did how did how did this music end up surprising and delighting you? That made you really want to delve into it?
1: Oh, it did it did completely. I mean, one piece after another, and it was. Um, a wonderful gift it felt like a wonderful present every single time you know unwrapping a beautiful present i mean i've ha- i've felt that about uh, a lot of the music that i've discovered and recorded even including uh, things as common as haydn sonatas you know uh, sometimes you feel that these things are written have been written just for you i mean you 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 discover them in the intimacy of your music room and you're alone with the score and the piano and uh, it's, it's it's really a wonderful feeling, a feeling that the composer is really giving you a gift. And um, to, to me, that's just an extraordinary feeling.
0: Well, I think it's time to have Kathy join you on the other headphone. So first of all, I want to ask you how the two of you met, and I'm curious if the piano was the connecting force between the two of you.
2: Well, first, I just want to say... Thank you, Julie, because you do such amazing stuff. And I listened recently to your an interview you did with Manny Axe, which I thought was fantastic. I mean, you just do great stuff, and I love doing what you do, so it's weird for me to be on this side of the microphone. But yeah, I, I had him in, um, he was a live performance, sort of a performance chat kind of thing on um, at WGBH. And um, I remember he was scheduled to come in and it, those performance chats sort of happen in in the middle of a show and so i dashed down during a piece and i overheard my producer saying asking what he would play that day and this was in 2003 and and he said i heard him say through the door oh i didn't know i was supposed to play and i just thought oh my god Another one of these pianists, please. And so I I decided I wouldn't even introduce myself. I just went back up to the studio and figured I'd let my producer deal with it. Of course, when I got back down, he played like a god. He was beautiful and it was lovely and it was a great way to meet. And I remember, was it the Montreal Gazette that published a link to that interview um, later on? But it, it really was revealing how preternatural, his control of the instrument was. I w- I will never forget how he played played Mozart that day and and Schumann. Um oh, it, penis. it was yeah. It was great.
0: And did you do the interview, Kathy, or did somebody else do the interview?
2: No, it was me. I was the host.
0: And um, okay, so now I want to know what you asked him that maybe produced an unexpected answer. Well, this is going back a ways. Um,
1: 20 years.
0: Well, I know, but it led to you guys being together, so surely you remember something fun about that. I do. I
2: remember asking him, because his Mozart was so full of life and, and so sparkling. And I remember asking him, and I asked in the wrong way, I think I asked in the... I, I said, well, obviously you must know the operas. And I remember him saying, well, I actually... I don't really know a lot of operas. (laughs) So that was a surprise to me because he played with such drama and sort of operatic sensibility, you know. Um, um, And he was just, I think the thing about him is that he's so honest and real and natural. You know, he's never thinking about how he comes across so much as, how the music gets to the other person. And and that you can even sense in, in the way he converses, you know, and, and that's one of the things that really struck me about
0: him. Well, so how did it go from you two doing an interview together to eventually being married and now here you are playing music together too? I think there was lunch in between. <laughs> Um, and we
2: just sort of, you know, he was hopping around the world, as he still does, you know, like like a madman. But um, we became close in that we would talk a lot on the phone. And um, I, I just became so fascinated with his art and his personality. And I just fell totally head over heels for him after a while. So we finally actually got married just in... 2016, in September, here in Massachusetts, when Obama was still the president, as I recall. That's right. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's oh, it's been just a bliss. And I try to follow him around as much as I can. And I never played with him before. I mean, I got my degree at New England Conservatory, two degrees there, and then took an immediate detour into radio, which I, I loved. I I joked at a graduation at NEC, I was asked to be an alum sort of speaker. (laughs) I joked that, you know, you spend all this time as a pianist at a conservatory stuck in this little tiny airless room trying to hide your coffee and and you can never really talk as a pianist and so I thought it was so such a delight to become a radio person and and get to talk but then I discovered that I was spending all my time in a little tiny airless room <laughs> trying to hide my coffee so um it, there are definite similarities but but it is nice to finally be able to say things you know rather than just play but but I was enjoying watching him more than playing with him. And so this was really the first time we played together. And I have a real hard time with the idea of giving up the pedal. That was difficult. And so does he, don't you, Em?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. But uh, it's always preferable because I, I was taking the bottom part in the in the duet that we were playing of Faure. Of, uh, and uh, it's more logical for the bottom player to take the pedal. But whenever I, I've uh, played a duet... Uh, on one piano and taking the upper part, I always feel a little naked, because I don't have the control of the pedal. So it takes two players who are really in sympathy with each other, you know. And um, we we really worked at it, and uh, the result really speaks for itself, I and mean, I, 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 I'm so delighted.
0: Let's talk about the Dolly Suite, which you play together. Tell me the story behind this suite, because there's a lot of people who are hearing it for the first time.
2: Well, Foray was in love with the woman who was Debussy's second wife, right? Emma
1: Bardac, yes. Mm-hmm.
2: And um, she had a little girl who, whose nickname was story. Dolly.
1: Yeah.
2: And this is something I always love about, there's this French Thing about children. I don't know, I can't describe it. I, I, there's this understanding of the world of children, and Foray certainly had a, had a uh, I don't know, he, he understood the world as seen through the eyes of children. But every year he would write her a piece um, over the course of, I think, four years. He wrote and would give her a little present every time. The Berceuse, which is the first one, I think was something he had kept in his drawer for a long time. He didn't actually write that for her, but he used it in the suite in the end.
1: It's a wonderful opening. It's it's just perfect, perfectly placed.
2: There is that one moment, uh, at one point where it becomes, it goes into D flat, that that piece, Tendresse, Mm -hmm. is, is, is pretty sort of adult. The other ones, I think, are are much more lighthearted. Yeah, and and especially the the last one, which I love so much. I thought, you know, playing with Mark Andre Hamlin. I was, oh my God, I have to do scales with Mark. Forget it. <laughs> but you know, I always tell him, like when he does master classes. I, I remember when I was studying how much I loved being next to somebody great you know because it same thing happened in chorus I noticed when I if you if you put yourself next to a really good soprano somehow you sound better well I think he he made me better just by being next to him but I, I really had to work at this and, and it was him who asked me I would never have asked to do this and I was so touched that he had the faith and confidence in me to, to do this, and, and I really tried to rise to the occasion. But it was ton of fun in the end. And I remember we went to England on the on the day of the funeral of the Queen. That's when we recorded this. And we thought we'll never make it to the studio, but but it was all there was a kind of calm in England that day, and um, we did it in this lovely church. In Kentish Town, right? Yeah,
1: that's right. Mm-hmm.
2: And 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 we had and we just had a wonderful time. The producer Andrew Keener is a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a, a human who makes gets the best out of humans, and he's always gotten the best out of Mark. He's and, got an and,
1: incredible pair of ears. <laughs> yeah, he's
2: the best, and he just made me feel so comfortable.
0: So, you've identified a few things that were special for you, Kathy. Uh, Mark, what was really memorable for you about recording this piece with Kathy?
1: Well, just being able to work together was already a, a bliss. It was such joy. Um, the the setting was wonderful. We had the best team, and uh, we had we had worked on this really uh, quite a lot, you know, and um, and dealing with this what what i think is really really wonderful music um what a gift to children it is uh, even even though it it can be played by adults as well i mean it's but it's by no means simple music to interpret but uh, god it's it's it as i said before it's like it's like a, a big christmas present you know uh, uh, what privilege we have in being able to play these things, you know, and taking part in them artistically, you know, it's there's nothing like it. We're so lucky.
0: If you could create the visual image for me of the two of you playing at the same piano, because this is a piece for piano, four hands. Describe for us what has to happen to make that work and maybe even describe a section or a piece where you two really had to learn how to maybe You know, uh, do that little dance where you don't get in each other's way, and you're able to strike all the right notes.
1: Well, the the writing sort of precludes that, you know, because it's uh, it's really written rather elegantly, and there's there's only one place, as I recall, in the last piece where my right hand is above her left,
2: and I kept forgetting. (laughs) <laughs> and I kept impeding his big, giant hand. <laughs> but I, I think of, you know, I, I know what you're thinking of because, you know, our, our good friends Anderson and Roe, when you watch them, oh, my God. I mean, it is, it is balletic, it is athletic, it's incredible, and they are such brilliant musicians, but they do a lot of arrangements that really require, like, craziness. But, but Foray was very generous uh, uh, about it, so you can really just sit hip-to-hip you know, so you're up against each other. There is a picture in the recording, uh, in the... In the booklet. In the booklet. Um, but you're really just right next up against each other and, and you, you try to feel like you're one thing with four hands, you know, um, but he doesn't require that you like jump over each other much or, or anything like that. So it, he's generous that way. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the idea wasn't really to uh, uh, to flex your muscles, you know, or be acrobatic or, or, or uh, overtly physical or whatever, anything like that. The means were as simple as he could muster.
0: Now that you have done this first recording with Mark, Kathy, have the two of you talked about, oh, maybe we'll do something else down the road? And if so, what might that be?
2: I don't know. I think the thing for me would be just to, for fun, you know, maybe do some Mozart. I was brought up in a sort of schnabel world where mostly the teachers that I had, Leonard Schur and and Victor Rosenbaum and Gabriel Chodos, they were really of the Germanic Beethoven-Mozart-Schubert world, you know. Um, And so it would be it would be lovely to just learn do some mozart and schubert together but but uh, uh, the pressure of a recording I, I don't think i could do that again but 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 it's opened up the world to me of, of of being able to sit with him and 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 play with him and and that is an incredible joy i can't even tell you how wonderful that is
0: have you thought about, or maybe you've done this already, like just kind of joining Mark for an encore at one of his recitals or something? <laughs> I think somebody
2: asked us to do that for an upcoming recital, but I I can't stand the thought of, you know, one of the hard things about being the partner of someone like him, I mean, even when I drive him somewhere, I, I think, oh my God, you know, even still, um, I, I just need to make sure that it, it it's it, he he does what he does in the most natural and destined way in a sense and i just don't want to get in his way all i want to do is make sure that he can do all that stuff so i don't like the idea of of getting on a stage
0: with him you know i just he's
2: him i call him m i don't call him mark but he's m <laughs> and m just needs to be m that
0: sounds like james bond you know
2: yeah <laughs> because he always signed his emails M so i just started
0: calling him that so is there anything else that either of you want to add about this recording that you'd like our listeners to know
1: i really hope that uh, as with so many of my recording projects that it leads to pleasant wonderful discoveries in the part of the public but also i want to encourage pianists above everything else to explore these pieces more because, you know, this is the kind of music that young people are not really drawn to simply because it isn't, and I hate, I hate to use the word, I'll use it in quotation marks, flashy. It is subtle, sophisticated, but also very sensuous and in its own way, not easy at all. I think some of the music is really quite difficult to get across musically. Uh, if the public knew that, or were aware of the fact that it takes a lot to make this music sound good, then they would appreciate the fact that a performer is spending time with it.
2: I can tell you that um, I see him through a pair of, of French doors when he's practicing. You know, there's a a foray look <laughs> that comes over him. Oh,
1: really? Yeah, <laughs>
2: when he's playing because it it's a very special, intimate, almost awe-inspiring music, and he is so involved in. The magic of it harmonically, and and the the depth of it emotionally—that you can actually, I can see it. I could almost tell you that he was playing for a if I couldn't hear it, because he loves it so much. And so I remember when he started working on this project, he just disappeared. You know, I, 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 he he would just disappear into this music, and and that's when—I mean—he's done that with other pieces too. That's when you know. It's touching him so deeply and, and it means a great deal to him.
0: The Nocturnes and barcarolles of Gabriel Faure with Marc Andre Hamlin and a guest appearance from his wife, Kathy Fuller, who's also an accomplished pianist. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, she's our producer for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher.